my dad was number one a yo-yo ma fan. Who isn't, right? Because I mean, because in Yo-Yo Ma, apparently I missed this part too. He was answering questions and my dad was just inspired by his humanity, but he would talk about music and his play and his the soul of his play. So my dad was inspired by that. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> Welcome to Pour Me a Mozart. My name is Asia, and I'm here today with LaTanya, and we are drinking to Dvorak's Cello Concerto and Lemon Cello. Cello and Cello. Hi, LaTanya. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Asia. Thanks for having me, Miss yes. America. <laughs> I was wondering if you are going to say that. <laughs> Uh, LaTanya and I went to school together. Um, you were finishing your DMA, and I was in undergrad. And I started competing for um, local pageants in the Miss Minnesota organization. And you've since then called me Miss America, and I love it. Yeah, Miss America. <laughs> well, thank you. So anyway, how are you? I am hanging in there. 2020 has been a very um, interesting year. I think that's true for all of us. So. Yes. It's been a wild ride. And I'm, I'm so glad to see you. 2020 kind of forced me to figure out how to do distance podcast recordings. And so one of the benefits of that is that I'm able to have a guest like you on the podcast. Yay! Yay! So let's get started with your two-minute personal history. Um, all right, here we go. Two minutes. All right, you ready? Yeah. I'm going to time you. Okay. And okay. go. Okay, my name is LaTanya Ellerby. Um, I was born in Tifton, Georgia, but I consider myself a native of Charlotte because I went to from primary all the way to high school in Charlotte, North Carolina. I currently live in Bermuda, where I teach violin to about 35 kids, um, two small string ensembles, and I do outreach. And I also serve as the director of Suzuki Springs for the Bermuda School of Music, which just means I send out a lot of emails. That's all. Um, <laughs> I've had a very interesting uh, life in that music has allowed me to go many places, including Singapore. Um, it's allowed me to live in Bermuda. It took me to Nashville for undergrad, North Carolina for master's, and then Minnesota for graduate school where I met Sally O'Reilly, this lady who just completely changed my life. And it was because of, I was in Minnesota that I made connections to help me find out about the job in Bermuda. Perhaps the coolest thing about living in Minnesota was finding, meeting this person named Doug. Doug, and uh, Doug runs a group called Taranga Drop Call. And that is where I met Asia. Well, I met you at school, but that's how I got to know you. Mm -hmm. um, by playing um, in danzon dance. Kind of a mix of salsa and classical um, Latin dance. And um, that's probably the coolest thing, because we got to go to Cuba, make an album in Cuba. And that's been my life so far. And I'm old. <laughs> You're not old. <laughs> Here we go. Did I make it in two minutes? You absolutely did. You have like 15 seconds left. <laughs> Nicely done. So yeah, you got me involved in the Turunga Band. But I guess I don't know how you got involved in the Turunga Band. Oh, this is such a good story. There was a flyer at school. And um, the flyer said like, salsa band or a Cuban music band, something like that, right? So I saw a flyer that said, call Doug Little if you're interested. So I call and I'm like, Mr. Little, Mr. Little, I would like to try out for your band. <laughs> so I went to his apartment and I think Terry was there. 
And maybe Chris, I think Kirsty had just gotten started in it as well. And so he, I played with them to see if I could mess with them. And that was that. It was all because of a flyer that was inside of the music building. At the end. I just, the funniest part is that I called him Mr. Little. I know. And he's actually a pretty tall guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not that formal at all. No. <laughs> I would never call him Mr. Little now. But at the time, you know, I just didn't know. I was like, Mr. Little. What was it they called him when we were in Cuba? Wasn't it Doglita Chiquita? I hope that's not like some kind of slur. Doglito, something, I don't know. It wasn't Mr. Little. Senor Pequeño. (laughs) (laughs) We had the opportunity to go to Cuba together in 2015. I think actually five years ago, maybe like last week, we would have been coming back from Cuba. Last week, yeah. I was seeing all those pictures pop up on my Facebook memories. But do you remember that first day when we were in our little um, Casa Particular and you kept seeing all these people walking around with this? It was okay. It was hot. Like I have, I like the heat. I went to grad school in the South in Louisiana because I liked the heat. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Cuba will will be fine. Cuba is hot. And they dress like it's not. Like the women are wearing jeans and high heels like it's not hot. But yeah, so you saw people walking around with these delicious looking frozen treats. Okay, 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 here's what happened, okay. So first of all, they didn't look delicious. It was like a paper cup. <laughs> it was like a paper cup with something frozen in it. And these little kids were walking around and I was like, that's Cuban, we never had that before, let's see what it is. Okay, so it was curiosity. It was curiosity, and so we yelled out from the balcony. Oh, yeah. We saw this kid, we was like, hey, is that so? Like, what is that? And he's like, Duro Frio. We're like, huh? <laughs> and he started like pointing to how to get to the Duro Frio. So I was like, Asia, let's go. And yeah. we know nothing about our neighborhood, nothing about Cuba. We yeah, we started- had gotten there an hour earlier. <laughs> and so we're walking down the streets. And every now and then we run into somewhere and we go, Duro Frio. Like, <laughs> I just remember walking around and saying Duro Frio a lot. And people kept pointing and we were like, are we close? Because it's really hot. We don't know much Spanish. We just say Duro Frio. And it's funny. So we finally get there. And it's like somebody's apartment. It's not even a store. It's like no apartment. He comes in with like a, he had a red shirt, shorts and no shirt. And we were like, Duro Frio? He was like, okay, but he's looking at us like, where are y'all from? <laughs> what is this? And it turned out, so then we, and we had no pacers at the moment. All we had was like our money and like the QUC, the Cuban convertible mm-hmm. money. Yeah. Like three pesos. It's really, really cheap. And I think I ended up giving him like a dollar and he was just like, this is too much money. I know. That baffled no, me. We didn't have money yet. We had money. It was just a lot of money. A lot of money, but we didn't have the proper money. Mm-hmm. So he let us go, remember? He was yeah. like, just take it. And I was like, I'll be back, I'll be back. And I do remember coming back a couple of days later with the money. He was like, this is too much money. Yeah, I was like, he gave us free Duro Frios, which is good because they were terrible. <laughs> no, I don't. But I do remember <laughs> getting kind of sick the next day and we were like, Duro Frio. Duro Frio. <laughs> like watered down kool-aid that they had frozen in paper cups basically hmm. and duro is what hard and frio is frozen 
though, the real for you. I've seen a lot. If there's any culture that has so much grace, it's the Cuban culture. They're proud. Mm-hmm. They're graceful. They, their music, they're musical. They're artistic. They're poetic, and they do a lot with very little. Yes, it is, it is one of the most amazing cultures I've been able to experience so far. I also wanted to ask you. Well, I didn't know that you had gone to Singapore. What? Oh, yeah. What brought you over there? Well, um, my senior year, there was a local orchestra teacher in a city in Greenville. That's about an hour and a half from Charlotte. And he had made this announcement at the regional orchestra concert that he was taking his Greenville high school to Singapore. And I don't know what came over me. After the concert, I walked up to him and said, can I come? And he said, you pay your way, you can so I told my parents, I was like, can I go to Singapore? And they were like, that can be your graduation present. Oh, wow. I would go to summer camps for like four or six weeks. They're like, you're not going to camp. If you go to Singapore, you're not going to camp. So That's fine. <laughs> now, but here's the cool thing about this group. This guy, um, his name is Jesse Suggs. He's, for most of his career, he's taught at predominantly African-American schools. So the group he took to Singapore was all black except for one little white girl. So people took more pictures of us than we took of them. Like when in Singapore do you see 30 something teenage black teenagers? And so people would like, we'd be, we would be somewhere like, there's this really cool zoo in Singapore, go figure who at the zoo. And like people would go, picture, picture. And they like try to grab as many of us as possible <laughs> and take our picture. Um, but it was the most incredible week. We played at hospitals, we played at a school, a Russell school, which is like kind of like an English-based school. And we had a great ball. Oh, we ate so much good food. We had a great time. And we flew Singapore Airlines, which is like ridiculously cool. Ridiculously cool? Yeah, Singapore Airlines is one of the best airlines in the world. It's up there with Qantas and Lufthansa. So he took these like little, <laughs> these little teenagers Singapore via Singapore Airlines, which is really cool. What a way to finish your high school career. Yes, what a way. <laughs> <laughs> so from Singapore Airlines to Duro Rio. Yes, and now you're in Bermuda. Actually, you're currently in North Carolina. Yes. I was kind of hoping that you would be in Bermuda so I could be like my first out-of-country podcast guest. We can pretend. We can pretend, yeah. We can pretend. <laughs> Except I just kind of gave it away. <laughs> That's okay. We'll pretend. Um, and, te- and, more, and under different circumstances, yeah, I would be uh, in Bermuda. Yes. So, and you're still talking to a, Bermudia, a Bermudian resident, so it yeah. counts. It counts, yeah. And I, I just love seeing everything that you post on social media about oh. your students. You're someone that I admire so much um, with, your, oh. <laughs> with your teaching. <laughs> just so much passion, and it's clear that you have passion for your students and their well-being, and they respond by like just playing so beautifully. I think what you're doing there is really incredible. Mm, thank you. That's really sweet. I might cry. Oh. <laughs> oh I think um, I'm realizing, like, I'm still green. Like, you know, we don't have nearly as much teaching uh, history as, like, Mark Bjork or Sally or O'Reilly or anything like that. But what I'm learning is you have to learn to love the kid. You have to learn about the kid. Because if you don't have a general or a genuine, sorry, care for the child, 
you can't really teach them the way they should be taught. Yes. So I, I really try, even some of the ones who leave the, the kitty farts in my room that linger forever. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pre-podcast conversation. <laughs> even those ones that may throw attention when they're three, but then they turn out to be just wonderful when they're eight, you know? Mm -hmm. I have to find something to love about them and learn about them so that I don't give up on them. I think that's really important. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. It's it's very true that you need to... Suzuki is about teaching the whole child. Right. Before we jump into the drink, I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite snack? Oh, see? I came prepared. Um, oh, you did? I couldn't quite see that. Oh, uh, that's okay. Um, I like... <laughs> Chips and guacamole, like that's my thing because it's like easy. Mm -hmm. But the real truth is, I love lemon pepper wings. You know, there's hot wings, right? There's buffalo wings. Well, in the South, especially like Atlanta and Charlotte, there's this flavor called lemon pepper. Hmm. And it is to die for. That's my thing. I love it. <laughs> uh, what is your go to drink? Okay, so. What do I do? I came up with this thing called the cello cello, right? Mm -hmm. We take a little bit of lemon cello, a little bit of Prosecco, but to cut the sweet of the lemon cello, add a little bit of fresh wine, right? Mm -hmm. Feeling fancy, a little bit of grenadine. Now, I think you made yours a little bit different and put grapefruit in it, right? I did, and you had also, also mentioned strawberries, so I muddled some strawberries. Did you really muddle the strawberries? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. But see, the basis of it was limoncello is too sweet. So you cut it and then put the prosecco in there to make it fizzy. I love a fizzy drink. Oh, yes. So it could be, and if you want to put the berries in there, it could be the strawberries or raspberries, whatever. Raspberries. Yeah. But that, that, that uh, the core of the drink is the limoncello and the lime to cut the sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was also thinking some mint might have been good with this. Mm, what about rosemary? Ooh, I haven't ever used rosemary in a drink. Oh, that's like, not true. I used to make a rosemary simple syrup. Right, and like you were saying, you used grapefruit instead of lime, right? I did. Ooh. And grapefruit and rosemary are like best friends. <laughs> and now we've I love like that description. Table. We gotta stop. Yes. <laughs> It's a good thing we're not in the same kitchen right now. Otherwise, we'd be like on the floor experimenting from all these drinks. <laughs> I'm yeah. also getting a little burpy, which is, you know, perfect for a podcast. It's Prosecco. I'm sorry, boo. Right. <laughs> it's okay. I, I love Prosecco. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Lemoncello because we chose Lemoncello because Cello Concerto. So you're calling this drink the Cello Cello. Cello Cello. Cello Cello. I love it. So limoncello is an Italian liqueur, and you can actually make it yourself. Um, this comes from thekitchen.com. Kitchen is spelled without the E at the end. Um, so this is limoncello is smooth and sweet with an intense lemon flavor. It can be sipped on its own, which I did after I bought my limoncello, <laughs> mixed into sparkling water or shaken into cocktails. Limoncello can range from very sweet to super tart and citrusy. As the maker of the limoncello, that's something that you get to decide. Lucky you. <laughs> uh, 
Um, to make it, we're simply infusing lemon peels into vodka. No distilling right. or secret ingredients required. After letting the peels and the vodka mingle for anywhere from a few days to a month, it's strained, mixed with sugar syrup, chilled, and just like that, we have the limoncello that many of us fell in love with on our very first sip years ago. Wow, I didn't actually read through all that. That was cheesier than I expected. <laughs> it's, it's Good so job, perfect. the kitchen. <laughs> but yes, I did have it on its own just on some ice a couple nights ago, and I was like, ooh, this could be a nightly tradition for me. You So you like it straight or just over ice? Either, probably. Hmm. There's not a lot that I'm not interested in drinking, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember, honestly, the first time I had it, I bought it because some of my friends, one of my friends, she's a chef in Atlanta. And she and her husband always go, lemon cheddar, lemon cheddar, lemon cheddar, lemon cheddar. Literally, that's how they say it. <laughs> so I was like, well, let me try it, let me kill it. And I tried it over ice, and I was like, I'm not feeling this. And then I put, I think I put some, like, lemon juice or something, and it made it just the tart changed it a little bit for me, and I was able to, I was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. Why, you know, I would like to mix it with a Prosecco or something else. But for me... I think it's a very valuable liqueur, but on its own, I'm just not a fan of its own. Yeah, you're not into the super sweet. No! Like, I love my um, champagne, like, super dry. Okay. Like, seco dry. I like, yeah. And I don't like sweet wines. Like, I do not like Riesling. I know. Oh. <laughs> I hate Riesling and do not give me a glass of Moscato. I will hit you. <laughs> my first experience with Lemoncello was also homemade limoncello at the okay. bar we were putting it into a drink and we all got to sample it and i was like this oh. is great <laughs> so yes brought the, bought the wrong brand at zips and zips <laughs> remember zip, there's a, a liquor store called zips liquor on um franklin it is still there after all the craziness in minnesota but it's really close to like the wells fargo on franklin avenue not far from Minnesota, the University of Minnesota. Yeah. And it's next to like the Milo's sandwich shop. I remember the sandwich shop. I and didn't really drink when I was at the U. Oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you were getting your doctorate, though. And, you know, the truth is, I, my first drink ever was not until my doctorate. When I started my doctorate, I understood why people drink. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to Ben Bergdorf's Chamber mm. Music Festival. I yes. think it was, I think the first year was either the, you were about to start your last year of your DMA or you had just finished. Okay. But I kept asking you like, what are you going to do? And you were like, I'm just going to sit. Sit down. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I ever want to experience the kind of stress that you're experiencing. Yeah, I remember that. I think it was the first year. That was the first year because it was the first year we had the festival because you were there the very first year. Mm -hmm. You, Brett, Krista, Dean. I think her last name is Dean now. Yes, Katerina. Katerina. And so the kids, we were doing that question and answer section, and the kids were like, what are you going to do when you finish your doctorate? And I said, I'm just going to get somewhere and sit down. <laughs> I never did. I need to sit down. Yeah, someday. Someday. <laughs> I also remember at that question and answer session, 
you played rap inspired music on your violin and that was like the coolest thing yeah that was um that was music written by daniel bernard remain who is um his name is much more well known than it was back then like 10 years ago Mm -hmm. he also went to vanderbilt for undergrad um but he tends to use not just hip-hop for his inspiration, but he uses funk, he uses like Jimi Hendrix and hard rock for his stuff. But that ended up, his compositions ended up being the basis of my dissertation for my DNA. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Because he wrote these quartets um, in honor of civil rights leaders. And, but he used different aspects of pop music for each one. And so I drew the parallels between the speaking styles of each civil rights leader and the way he used certain pop aspects. Oh so, my gosh. I would love to read that. Don't read it. It's a mess. But the, I mean, <laughs> I'm the, sure it's the, not. The, um, what's his name? Rebitzer Stoll thought I did a good job, and so that was all I needed. Rebitzer <laughs> Stoll said you did a good job. For the people who don't know, Rebitzer Stoll is like the theory god at. Um, University of Minnesota, and he said I did a good job. So, hey, I liked him. I liked him too. Oh, I liked him a lot. So, this is a very brief history, extremely brief history of Dvorak because <laughs> I've covered in season one, episode 15, his ninth symphony from the New World, and season two, episode two, his American string quartet. So, if you'd like a more in depth history, go ahead and listen to those two episodes. Um, here we go. He was born September eighth. What? She said, "Go read a book." <laughs> <laughs> I did say, "Go read a book." I should probably read a book. Um, <laughs> Dvorak was born September eighth, eighteen forty one, and died on May first, nineteen oh four. And he was the pff- words. Um, he was the first Bohemian composer to achieve worldwide recognition. So there we go. That was real short. That was real short. So before we dive into the concerto, would you like to share why you picked this piece? Sure. Um, I picked it. How short can I make this? I picked this in honor of my recently deceased father. My dad dad died on May 11th. And this was one of his favorite pieces. Can I tell the story about how it became his favorite piece? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Yo-Yo Ma came to Charlotte. Um, to play with the Charlotte Symphony, and he gave an open rehearsal in the middle of the day. And my dad picked up myself and my best friend at the time, my best violin friend at the time, drove us to the middle of downtown Charlotte to the Blumenthal Theater, which is a gorgeous theater. And we sat down with a bunch of other teenagers from the area and watched them rehearse the Dvorak Concerto. And I was an IB, this is important. I was an IB student at the time, so I was tired. International baccalaureate? International baccalaureate. So, you know, I'm up till two o'clock in the morning doing homework, maybe practicing an hour or two a day. I'm tired. And the theater is dark. <laughs> I don't really know this piece. I'm a violinist and I'm 16, 17. I went to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. I slept on Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> I was ten rows away from Yo-Yo Ma, and I went to sleep. 
And, uh, <laughs> Amazing. But my and I really think I was leaning on him snoring. I really do feel like I had my mouth wide open at some point. <laughs> but my dad left that rehearsal so inspired and so amazed. Uh-oh. He was just like, wow. And there's a particular um, moment that I picked that we'll talk about later as we're talking about certain spots mm-hmm. where I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> and the concert master and the cellist, Yo Yo Ma, went together in the, in the end of the uh, third movement. And I was just like, this is really beautiful. But until that point, I had gone to sleep. <laughs> but from, I'm telling you, from that point on, my dad was number one a Yo Yo Ma fan. I mean, who isn't? Who isn't, right? Because, I mean, because in Yo-Yo Ma, apparently, I missed this part, too. He was answering questions. I didn't see that. I was asleep. <laughs> but he was answering questions, and my dad was just inspired by his humanity, the way he would answer questions, the way he would talk about music, and his playing, and his, the soul of his playing. So my dad was inspired by that. But my dad was also inspired by that piece. He went and bought a CD of uh, Divorce by Concerto and ended up buying one of the Herbert, which is the inspiration. Yes. Divorce by Concerto. Yeah, I just learned that a couple days ago. Yeah. Like, um, Divorce was like procrastinating writing a cello concerto because his friend wanted to write one, but when he finally heard the Herbert Concerto, which is really a great piece too, mm-hmm. he, um, he ended up starting to write his. Another funny story. My dad came to see me play in Charleston behind this really young cellist who was playing the Herbert. And when the kid finished, my dad almost fell with the kid off the stage. My dad was walking to the front club. Oh! <laughs> the stage, and he just kept like going, following the kid and the kid walked on Oh, that's so sweet. So yeah, but because of Yo-Yo Ma, Coming to Charlotte, my dad became a really big fan. So that took a long time, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That was yeah. a great story. So, and I think it just speaks to the character of your dad. He sounds like a truly wonderful human. He was. He was a lot of fun. It's weird to say he was. I, yeah, I can't imagine. He was, and he loved life. He loved music, preferably funk, which was even more striking that he liked the um the Dvorak so much because he was mostly known, he knew all the words to every funk song ever written. <laughs> all the classic rock songs. Like, he was a walking jukebox. And it wasn't until I started playing classical music that he really got into that. So the fact that somebody who loved, you know, pop music, classical uh, rock music, and funk just fell in love with the Dvorak control. Like, he can't tell you which movement is what. He just loved it all. I think that speaks to how timeless this music is. And I think when people sit down and listen to these pieces, they will realize there is something relatable there. And that's, that's why I started this podcast was to make this more relatable. I think there's something about classical music where people put themselves on a pedestal and they make it really unattainable for people who aren't trained in the arts to appreciate it. And I just, I want that pedestal to not exist. Do you think sometimes that pedestal, which is clearly manufactured, it's not natural. Right. Do you think they use that pedestal because they feel like this is mine? 
this is what I excel at. And it's like oh, a could be. mechanism, right? Like if I say, this is mine, and you have to work as hard as me to get there, then I, I am superior. Than every, I have something to be superior at. Rather than just saying, like, I'm just a normal person who practices a lot and I practice doing other things. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I see the origin of it, but it, I think it's so unnecessary. Like, why do we, like, why would we play for only other musicians? We should play so that everyone can enjoy this. Which is what they did when this music was written. Mm-hmm. It was the pop music of the time. It was the pop music of the time. Like, I don't know why we got to put on a ball gown and wear gray hair to go hear this music now when it was the pop music of its time. But ball gowns are fun. Okay, ball gowns, but not gray hair. Uh, yeah, that takes so much time. <laughs> keep going, music. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so you picked this piece in honor of your father. So this is Dvorak's Cello Concerto in B minor, Opus 104. It's in three movements, as many concertos are. Uh, first movement is Allegro. It starts in B minor and ends in B major. It's about 15 minutes long. The second movement is Adagio Manantropo, which I love that phrase in Italian because it's like, but not too much. And I'm like, just just tell me what you mean. Like, ugh. Anyway. Um, and that one, actually, it's interesting that, that the middle movement is in a major key. It's in G major. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about 12 minutes long. And then the third movement is the finale, Allegro Moderato, Andante, Allegro Vivo. And those are three different sections. So a lot happens in the finale. And that starts in B minor and then ends in B major. It's about 13 minutes. So in just under 45 minutes, you'll have experienced something truly great. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the Herbert Concerto, which, let's see. So in 1865, Dvorak had actually started composing a cello concerto in A major, which I don't, do you know if that's ever played? I don't know. Okay, I don't know either. My dad didn't like that one. I don't know. <laughs> I also like. I only hear of the Dvorak, and I hear of this piece. So I wonder if it wasn't finished, or um, maybe it was just like written about, but there's no actual music left. I would like when uh, when I finish teaching these students at the end of this month. <laughs> you look it up. <laughs> so he, his friend had actually asked him to write a cello concerto. Um, it was written for, oh boy, Hanus Wihan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was actually premiered, I can read, premiered by English cellist Leo Stern. Um, and it wasn't until um, Dvorak heard at least two performances of the Herbert concerto that he decided to actually write this concerto. Um, the middle movement of Herbert's concerto is in B minor, which people think inspired Dvorak to write this concerto in the same key. Sure. Should we now let the music speak for itself? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to introduce the first clip or hear it and then talk about it? I, I picked the first clip. It's the opening. It's in the opening of the piece, but uh, which Asia just help, uh, helpfully pointed out. You know, there is a cellist sitting in front of the orchestra. But despite that, the whole piece just sounds complete without the cellist. Like, 
the opening, it almost sounds like a whole symphonic work. And it's just like his use of orchestration and everything. It's so massive before the cello even comes in. It's just one of the most incredible opening, in my opinion. One of the most incredible, it's not like Sibelius where you go, reader, 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 before it's stuff to right? Which I love Sibelius, don't get me wrong, I love Sibelius, right? That's a great impression. He's reader, 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 or reader, reader, depending on if you're first or second violin. But, <laughs> but this one, it's like this massive symphonic work, like grand work before a cello even enters. in front with his bow going down, looking down at the ground being all deep and stuff. Like, it's not... It's faster. Well, you know how they look. They have their bow in their hand, and they're looking down, they're like... <laughs> Here it comes, you know? They're looking all profound. It's just, I think it's great. Yes. Have you played this concerto in orchestra? Yes! So much fun. I think I've only ever played the first movement. Oh. But yeah, it is... The third movement. I got a story. <laughs> oh, I, I can't wait. But yes, it is... Oh, it's so fun to play. Yes! Yeah. It is so... It's beautiful. It's really... Mm. It's a great piece of work. It really is. And like all of Dvorak, it moves along in such a way that you can totally lose yourself and maybe even fall asleep if you're 16-year-old Latanya. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just like, it's almost as if time stops when you're listening to um, one of Dvorak's great pieces. You know what? I find a lot that's true, but then he has these moments and I, I'm thinking of um, the eighth symphony in the slow movement. There's just these moments where you're right, time stops throughout most of the, the work. Then there'll be this like rock, this like groundbreaking moment and you're just like, whoa, what was that? Mm -hmm. It happens in so many of his works where you're just like, wait a second, what was that that just went by? Yes. And um I feel like that happens in the second movement in this one and definitely in the third. Mm-hmm. For sure. Shall we hear the second theme in the first movement? Yeah, it's really pretty. Oh, man. Yeah, Can you and feel your life stop for us? Oh. 
Yes. And I don't know who the cellist is because the licensing website that I have to pull all of this from doesn't always give all of the information that I would like to have. But man, that the rubato, like the slight bit of rubato that cellist used was just brilliant. I loved that. And the movement um, of the belly, da 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 that third da da Oh, I'm getting chills. You see, it's so folksy. It feels very folksy. It feels very familiar. It's like it transcends any culture, any culture, and it's so beautiful. And that and that comes after you've heard this massive symphonic beginning. You know, you go through all these emotions and all these thoughts within one movement. It's an incredible work. It is an incredible work. So, shall we hear? um, Would you like to talk about the clip from the second movement? Yeah. So. Um, there is a part in the middle of the second movement, which references a song. Now, I don't speak Czech, German, or anything, okay? Same. (laughs) (laughs) But the English translation of the song is Leave Me Alone. That was... (laughs) Michael Jackson also wrote a song called Leave Me Alone, but that's another story. He did, yes. That was my jam. Anyway, um, but this song was a favorite of his sister-in-law. Josefina, and she was dying, or she was very, very ill around the same time that he was writing this concerto. So he snuck an excerpt of that song into the second movement. So that's part of what I picked for people to listen to. All right. All right. I don't know. I would have assumed at the beginning, but yeah. <laughs> no, 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 totally. That's what I thought, but it's no, it's in the middle. Mm. In the middle. Yeah, he snuck it in there. So, what I really like about that, first off, the cello melody is just gorgeous, mm-hmm. but the stuff that's going on in the strings, the ticker, 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 yes, all the it's, stuff. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. I'm glad you think it's cool. I think it's a pain in the butt when I got to play it. Well, I mean, I think that too a lot of times, but it sounds cool. If everybody's playing it correctly. Which in this recording, luckily they were. Okay, good, because I surely wasn't. When the last time I played this, I don't know which workshop I was in, I surely wasn't doing it correctly. And you know, when, when you're a violinist or any part of the orchestra backing somebody and the composer gives you noodles, you almost lose sight of why this is nice until you hear the whole piece, right? You're like, that is so true. You're like, this sucks. Oh my gosh. Can I, I'm going to tangent for a second. The first time I played the Tchaikovsky concerto in orchestra, um, Tchaikovsky violin concerto, I remember getting the music and we had, you know, a couple other pieces on the program too, like a full symphony and then some sort of like, piece to play before we played the Tchaikovsky concerto. And I remember thinking like, well, the solo violin part's really hard, so like my part's probably not that hard. And I was sitting in the back of the second violin section. Nope. Turns out everyone thought that, and our first rehearsal was a hot 
mess. It was so bad. Like, I... I never saw this conductor lose his mind in the same way, except for when we had to fire a piano soloist. Whoa! Yep, there's some drama in that group. Is this in Louisiana? This sounds like some Louisiana stuff. It was in Louisiana, yes. <laughs> um, uh, so he basically told us all, like, I can't believe you didn't look at this. Go home and practice. So me and actually it was me and Katerina were in this group together. Oh. Yeah. And she was playing first violin. I was playing second violin. And we were like, okay, let's uh, let's practice this one spot. There's one spot in the third movement that's actually pretty tricky. Or like you actually need to look at it. It's not that hard. But we were like, okay, let's just see what this sounds like together. And so we start playing it slowly. And we were like, oh, we're playing in unison. When we played this in the group, it did not sound in unison. So that's one of those noodly moments that went really, really poorly. We pulled it together for the concert, but yeah. <laughs> the fact that you had just realized you were in unison. <laughs> yes. That's how bad the first rehearsal was. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> the third movement. Is the third movement your favorite by chance? Oh, uh, yes, because I woke up for it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, well, no, actually, it's really, it's like, um, like I said, the beginning, the first movement is really, really dramatic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's symphonic and it's huge. But the third movement, it's still massive, but it seems to cover so many different emotions within one movement. And it, um, it kind of reminds me of like Sibelius' first movement, where it's like so many moves. Mm-hmm. Oh, Sibelius, uh, where you just like you go from like this whole cadenza like section right after the first page, but then you play those beautiful sixths, and then you're like fiery at the end. It's crazy. Oh, it's such a great piece. It's, it's one that I cannot license, so homework time. Listen to the Sibelius Violin Concerto. It is an incredible piece of music. Please do. It's beautiful. But, um, I feel like a lot of emotion is covered in this third movement. It's very victorious sounding. And, and I know, yes, it's when I woke up. And it's not even the beginning that I woke up, to be honest. <laughs> but every time I play this in the orchestra, I get excited at the beginning. Dum, 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 dum. Oh, I'm giving it away. <laughs> I just get so excited with this one. It's, it's a very, uh, it's like a march. What's that word? Militaristic sounding piece. It's great. It is great. Should we hear it? Yeah, I think you should hear some. Everything I love about Dvorak, the drama, the driving rhythms, mm-hmm. 
the harmonies aren't completely conventional either which i really like yeah yeah coming in yeah totally mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and you didn't wake up for that no isn't that crazy <laughs> it's a little crazy i was still asleep oh it wasn't until the, so this next part in the middle there's this beautiful melody which she'll play for them and the cello plays it by itself i was still asleep it wasn't until it becomes a duet with the first violin of course you woke up for the violin i woke up i was like oh what's that Ooh, that's pretty i'm dead serious that is when i woke up in this rehearsal so and so that part has always been with me. And then lo and behold, bless, bless Latanya Sock, she ended up being concert master for one, one of these times she had to play this piece. And I think it's B major, it's B major at the end. And Latanya at that time was not good at B major. That was the hardest solo I ever played in my life. There's a lot of sharps. There was a lot, of, but it was just bad. And so I had to play behind one of her best It's not bad. In, oh, girl. No. I played behind the cello professor at the time, who was Brooks Whitehouse, who's an amazing cellist. But I had to play da 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 high note da high note. It's short. It's in B major. Oh my god! I just felt like my butt cheeks clenched the whole rehearsal. Can we go back a minute? Did you say bless my bless Latanya's socks? I did. What does that mean? <laughs> Same, you know, bless your socks or bless your heart. It's the same thing. So I was saying, like, bless I've never heart. heard that. Oh, but you've heard bless your heart, right? Oh, I lived in Louisiana. I absolutely heard that. So bless your socks. It's kind of same. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I was saying, bless poor little Tanya because she couldn't play in B major and Shonov couldn't play. <laughs> <laughs> that seems important. <laughs> I know that now. Listen, it wasn't until Miss O'Reilly when I realized just how important it was to play past fifth position. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Sibella's concerto. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta play up pretty high for that one. Yeah, I didn't know what the positions were. I just found the sound. That's yeah. terrifying. Isn't I would. It? I would love to have a pedagogy talk with you because I have thoughts about knowing what position you're in past fifth but that's Listen, not for this podcast the way i feel about it now yeah we gotta do it because the way i feel about where knowing positions and all that kind of things is completely different than how i got through a lot of my years of learning the violin i won't let my students be blind like i was i refuse no way. i i feel that Let's, 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 hear this let's You were still asleep. I was still asleep. 
Even for Yo-Yo Ma's beautiful, beautiful play. Yo-Yo Ma was playing his heart out. My dad's probably crying a tear or two. My best friend's probably got her mouth wide open. Latanya was slick. <laughs> <laughs> but you woke up for this. This. you want to believe i believe this is my personal belief i'm not gonna put that on anybody else i think god woke me up because he was like you need to hear this <laughs> <laughs> i'm dead serious i mean who wakes up just at that moment right some universal force said latanya wake up <laughs> i mean okay so i've been laughing at you being asleep through all of these big loud moments um but i should share that I saw Star Wars Rogue One twice in the theater, uh -huh. and I fell asleep both times, which is why I'm like, I don't think I like this movie. But I always fell asleep during the big loud fight scenes. So, like, well, I'm, I'm really not one to judge. <laughs> <laughs> I must tell you, I have never been awake for any of the Star Wars movies. I've fallen asleep. Anyone I've tried to watch, I've fallen asleep. Oh, that's a bummer. I know. Like, even the original Star Wars, I took a screenwriting class. Like, like, I went to a camp and I did a screenwriting class. This was 13-year-old Latanya. 13-year-old Latanya said, this is boring. Good night. And I literally, like, put my head down on the table in front of the TV like this while everybody else was watching. <laughs> and it wasn't a bad thing. It's not like I was getting graded. I was at a camp. <laughs> I need to hear about what kind of camps you went to that you were taking a screenwriting class. I was a nerd. <laughs> but not nerdy enough to stay awake for Star Wars. It's not your thing, and that's fine. It's not my thing. But, um, but yeah, I finally woke up when he finally, when the first fight went, when the concert master was playing that duet. And I stayed awake till the end to hear, like, the best, which, which I think is the best part of the entire concerto, like the coda from, from like, that very beautiful soul part to the end. Yes. Uh, before we hear the coda, though, that solo, the violin solo, is so, like, floaty and kind of ethereal. Like, mm -hmm. I understand higher notes better than I did before, and I still think that would be a really intimidating solo to play. Oh, yeah, especially if you don't know past fifth position, huh? Well, yeah, especially if your <laughs> technique isn't quite ready for it. But even so, it's like, it's kind of like playing Mozart. Like, you look at it and you're like, I can do this. I understand the notes, but then there's like this whole other layer of just simplicity oh. and perfection that you have to bring to it. Absolutely. You know what? Saying it's like Mozart is perfect. Totally. That, yeah, because Mozart or Mendelssohn. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you can figure out the notes, but it, there's a way to play it. Yes. You know? And yeah. uh, very, very. And intimidating. that's intimidating. Very much so. Thanks, Mr. Mozart and Mr. Mendelssohn. 
And you know what? You too, Mr. Dvorak. (laughs) All right. Shall we hear the coda? So I didn't play the whole thing because I want people to discover yeah. this on their own. I was totally about to like melt because I knew where it was going. <laughs> oh man, but so much good stuff, even in that oh, short okay. little bit of it. Um, the clarinet coming back with the theme from the first movement and then the that really high trill on the cello and then the orchestra just changes the mood. It's oh, such great writing, and such way, great writing. And the way the cello resolves that and then it, oh, Y'all oh, gotta go listen, listen. Y'all so great. So great. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm fun walking through the Dvorak. Yes, I need to go listen to the whole thing again. I love Dvorak so much. Yeah. Such a great composer. And he wrote a violin concerto, too, that I actually don't know as well as I maybe should. Oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> I've heard it's really, really good. deceptively difficult. <laughs> It's very hard, but the only reason why I know it so well is because this girl at Meadow Mount, the girl next door to me, in the room next door to me at Meadow Mount, that's all she worked with. Why not? I'm telling you, I can sing you, I can sing you the whole chord movement of the chords from memory because of her. You know, one of my favorite things about being a classical musician, and especially a violinist, where we sometimes play multiple notes at the same time, is trying to sing the pieces that we're learning or hearing other people do it, because you can't quite imitate that instrument. (laughs) Especially when you got like quadruple stops, they always just turn into blah. Boang! It's always boang! (laughs) Boang! So <laughs> Depends on if the notes are going higher or lower. Yum. We're such a special group of people, aren't we? I'm sorry. To all the Asians listeners, I'm sorry. This has probably been like the weirdest thing you ever heard. <laughs> no, this is going to be one of the best. <laughs> people are going to love it. I don't know about that, but boing. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, before I ask you my final question, I wanted to say thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, LaTanya, for taking the time to um, not only be on the podcast, but also do some research, listen to the, choose the clips for me, create this drink. Like you did all the work I usually do. So thank you. No, thank you. This was fun. Thank you for having me. Good. I'm glad you had fun. It was very fun to have you on the podcast. If you liked this episode, you can support the podcast by listening to other episodes. I think a lot of people will tune in either for the piece or the guest that I have on. Um, And I encourage you to listen to other episodes because I'm biased, but I like all the pieces and I like all my guests. So there's that. You can also support the podcast by following it on Facebook and Instagram at Pour Me a Mozart. Interact on Facebook and Instagram. I like that too. Invite a friend to listen to the podcast if you liked it. If you would like to contribute some actual physical money, you can visit patreon.com slash Mozart and become a Patreon member for $3 a month or more if you choose. Um, there will be some actual content coming for the three members that I have currently, so you can become member number four maybe. 
Um, yeah, so that's all my, that's me plugging all my stuff. Um, and Latanya, before we close, I wanted to ask, what is one positive that you found to online teaching? I get to be in everyone's house. Mm. So, so my kids, you know, I have a wide range, right? But, you know, I have one student, her dog sings every day that she plays. And I just giggle my way for 45 minutes while I was like, then, you know, or like I have one kid, bless his heart, he's six, his sister's seven. He thinks she's a cat. So she creeps behind him during his lessons. You know, I just go, oh, where's your cat-like sister? Or, you know, when I do my group classes, I offer to the kids, like, an opportunity to show me something cool in their house. Somebody might take the computer and go, oh, look at my lava lamp. Or who did this? Are these my things? So I feel like I've gotten, for the majority of my students, I've gotten a better sense of who they are because they're home. Mm-hmm. Not putting on like the school persona. So it's, it's and every teacher knows it's very hard to teach online. But on the other hand, I've gotten to know some other sides of my kids. Like I have one kid I teach at seven fifteen in the morning, and around right around seven twenty every morning, the dad brings the mom coffee. Like I just like chocolate. Like I get to see all these other aspects of home life and feel like I know these kids better. And I I feel like I'm the better for it. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, for me, teaching is about the child and the families, right? Like, if I know how they think, how they feel, I feel like I can better reach them than just looking at this person's like just something I'm supposed to mold. Mm -hmm. I look at it like this is a friend or a niece or a nephew that I need to like show them the cool parts of the mountain. Come on, kid, let's go. And I feel like my teaching is better when I look at it, look at it that way. Yeah, I really like that. I'll take that perspective into my next week of teaching. Yeah, especially when they fart in your room. (laughs) That's another positive. No more kid farts. That's all on the other side of the screen. (laughs) Well, shall we cheers to getting getting to know our students better and not smelling their farts? Cheers to that. (laughs) Cheers. (laughs) Clink. (laughs)